it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Welcome back to Killer Queens. Hey. Hey. We're doing Charles Ng and Leonard Lake today. I don't know Good how to feel. Lord. Mixed feelings. Uh-uh. I, I only have bad feelings. Okay. Yeah, same. Yeah. It's like watching Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yeah. Good good analogy. That's exactly what it's like. Mm-hmm. You just feel yuck. Need a shower. Yeah. Jamie Lovinger requested this, so thank you. And uh, Jamie tried to warn us. And all of the warnings were 100% accurate. So, yeah. I mean, you know, we have been warned. And now you have been warned. Should we put a little disclaimer on it, like a trigger warning? Yeah, I would say a trigger warning for every possible single thing that there is out there. Yeah. But literally everything. Mm -hmm. And also another disclaimer, should we say, this case happened in the 80s. There is a lot of conflicting information and like cases that happened then unless somebody unless it was like wild, wild country and they videotaped every single thing happening, there's just going to be some mixed information out there. So a huge thank you to Sloan for writing the case. She used several sources. They'll all be listed. But where there was conflicting information, she went with whatever was reported most. So you know, if it's like the name of something or the way that something happened, if it was reported more this way than the other, that's what she went with. So we do love talking about the cases with everybody, but we are just going to go ahead and preemptively say if there's something that is slightly off, it's fine. And we don't necessarily need a message for it. Is that fair to say? (laughs) I guess, sure. Yeah, Sloan even put in the notes, hashtag don't come for me. She, exactly. she, you know, we're just doing the best that we can with the information that is given. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just going with what is reported the most times or what came directly from like the prosecutor, the police officer in the case when available. Yes. Yeah, so there we go. Cool. Also, just before we get started on the case, a reminder to check out the Patreon if you want more episodes. You know, one thing I realized is some people don't even know what a Patreon is, which I guess to me, it's like, you know, we have one, so it's like second nature. But if you're new to it, you know, you might not know. So 
it's a website and it's kind of like a membership site. So you can support creators, podcasters, like whoever it is that you like. And the idea is that you are pledging your support because they're already creating content that you use or consume for free. So it's like a, hey, thanks. I'm going to throw you some bones because you're putting out stuff that I like. But then there's also like perks for the different tiers. You get bonus episodes. We do some extra stuff in there. We do some live streams. We do coverage of docu-series. We do extra episodes each week. So we're putting out on this show three episodes a week. And then we have our other show, Oh Snapped, where there's another episode per week. So, you know, you could join the Patreon, get four episodes a week, throw us some bones, show your support. It's a whole thing. It's worth it. Yep. So now you've heard it. It's worth it. <laughs> and we're not biased. It's just... No, it just is. It's a fact. It's worth it. Yeah. Hashtag facts. So that's Patreon. Check it out if you want some bonus content or just want to show your support. That is patreon.com slash killerqueenspod. And now let's let's jump on into this shit show, shall let's we? Let's do it. Yeah. On June 2nd, 1985, police were called to South City Lumber because an Asian man had attempted to steal a $75 table vice. Did you know what a table vice was? No. I didn't either. I was like, the hell is that? So I Googled it. And it's like, you know, those like workbench like clamps that you can put on? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Really? Okay. I had no idea. But yeah, that's what it is. It's like, it makes your table like a workbench. Oh, interesting. And for most people, that would be a normal thing to buy. But, you know, once you get into this case, you're like, ugh, what were they going to do with that? And the stealing, that's not okay. Well, no, that's not okay. Yeah, they certainly weren't buying it. When Officer Daniel Wright arrived, the Asian man had already taken off. A witness told him that when the man was confronted about the theft, he tossed the vice into the trunk of his brown Honda and ran. They looked into the man's 1980 Honda Prelude, and in the trunk was what also looked like a gun case. When Wright unzipped it, he saw a 22 caliber Ruger with a silencer that was about six to nine inches long. The modification to the gun was illegal. As Wright was checking the car, another man came out of the store appearing agitated and told Wright he'd paid for the vice and here's the receipt. So he comes out like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, my friend kind of made a scene, but I paid for it. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Be on your merry way. Nothing going on here. And they're like, well, The thing is, though, we already saw this illegal gun thing going on in here, so we're actually going to impound the car, and we're going to have to bring you, sir, in, because now you're associated with this whole situation. And he was mad as hell. (laughs) Yes, he was. They handcuff him, and in the police car, he immediately is like, okay, so the guy that stole the vice, his name is Charles Ng. You're going to want to talk to him, okay? They do a background check on Ng, and the police found out who he was, but they still didn't know who this man was. So, like, he hasn't given his ID. He's just like, you want to talk to him. You don't, you don't need to know anything about me. This mm-hmm. is not about me. Mind your own business. I am not important here. Yeah. Yeah. So once they get to the police station, they had him in a holding room. It looked like an interrogation room or like an interview room. 
He gave his name as Leonard Blake, and he confessed to being a fugitive and offered to make a statement, but he was like, well, first I'm going to need a pencil, paper, and a glass of water. And the officer was like, okay, fine. So he goes and gets him stuff. He's like, all right, I'm going to give you a few minutes to write your statement, and then I'll come back. And he's like, okay, girl, great. No problem. See you later. So The officer leaves and he goes to talk to the detective to try to get, you know, Charles Ng's information going, like all that kind of stuff. Leonard Lake used that water to swallow cyanide pills that he had sewn into the collar of his shirt. And so when the officer returned, he was convulsing violently on the floor. He was taken to the hospital where they decided there was, or they determined there was no activity in his brain and he was on life support for four days. On June 6th, life support was turned off. And instead of writing a statement, the only thing that he had written on the paper was a letter to a woman named Lynn. He wrote, Dear Lynn, I love you. I forgive you. Freedom is better than all else. I'm sorry, Mom, Patty, and all. I'm sorry for all the trouble. Love, Leonard. Hmm. This note, like once you get into everything, it's like, I'm sorry for all the trouble. Like, understatement of the century, Leonard Lake. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And also, like, I'm sure Lynn wasn't really worried about him forgiving her. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, he may as well have written, Dear, to whom it may concern, my bad. Best (laughs) wishes, Leonard Lake. Like, whatever, Leonard. Shut (laughs) up. Best, Leonard Lake. (laughs) Exactly. Why had he committed suicide? Police were confused and decided the only way to figure it out was to put out a warrant for Charles Ng and search the car to see if they could find any clues. The police ran the VIN on the prelude and it came back to a Paul Costner. No relation to Kevin Costner, unfortunately. But what they did learn was that Paul Costner was from San Francisco and he had been missing for about seven months at that time. And this is his car. So while searching the car, the police also found a driver's license for a man named Robin Scott Stapley. They found a stun gun and bullets and an electric bill for a woman named Clara Lynn Belaz. Then they found a bullet hole in the roof of the car with a trajectory that lined up with the bullet being shot from the back seat. And luminol showed blood spatter on the roof in that area. So this is on the passenger side. The police knew at this point they're not going to find Paul Costner alive. He's been missing for seven months. This is his car. There's a bullet hole in the roof, blood spatter everywhere. They just had no idea that what they found in that Honda was the tip of a really fucked up iceberg. Yuck. Yeah. Sloan wrote that and it's perfect because it, I mean, it just is. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Leonard Lake was born Leonard Thomas Lake on October 24th, 1945 in San Francisco, California. When he was about six years old, his parents split up and he and his siblings went to live with his grandparents. He was also said to be a bright kid, but he had a strange fascination with pornography and nude photos. At a very a young age, yes. I'm like, ooh, that's a that's a red flag right there. Red flag yeah. number one, okay? At a fairly young age, he began taking naked pictures of his sisters. And immediately I'm thinking his poor grandmother like had her hands full, right? No, this behavior was supposedly encouraged by his grandmother according to multiple sources. What in the hell? What is she doing? These poor girls. Yes, it's, yeah, it's like family tradition. Ugh. Later, he would, quote unquote, extort his sisters for sexual favors, according to multiple sources. He also liked to gather mice and then kill them by dissolving them in chemicals. That's horrific at any age. That is horrific. That, oh my gosh. It's, I mean, I, I'm upset by that. Yeah, I don't, I don't care for mice. Like they freak me out. Certainly don't want them to be dissolved. I want them to just go out into the world and be away from me, but live their lives. You're, what you're trying to do right now is you're trying to act like Mouse Hunt didn't happen. And that was an adorable movie with an adorable mouse. Yeah, it was. It was. Mr. Jangles, Green Mile. Like, do you want me to name some of the more notable mice? <laughs> Mickey? Ratatouille? Mouse? Oh, Mickey. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is not okay. This is not okay. After graduating high school in 1964, 19-year-old Lake, like most other serial killers, enlisted in the Marines. You know, so there's that McDonald triad, which is... I forget because I've we've lumped so many other things into it now, but bedwetting. It's bedwetting, killing animals. Yeah, Was yeah, it yeah. fire starting? I think it's arson, yeah. Fire starting. I think. But then I also feel like the silent points of the triad are enlisted in the military, head trauma, or is head trauma one of them? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. so. Yeah, but it is just so common, right? Head trauma, enlisted in the army or Marines or whatever, military. Yeah, so anyway, he he does that. I don't know about the others, but he definitely gets into the Marines. 
He became a radio operator and served two tours of duty in the Vietnam War. During his time in the Marines, he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder after having a quote-unquote delusional breakdown. In 1971, he was given a medical discharge and received psychotherapy. He then moved to San Jose, and he tried to further his education by enrolling at San Jose State University. He only lasted one semester before dropping out. He had become enthralled with a hippie commune, so he moved there, and in 1975, he married his first wife. However, she found out that he was making amateur porn with bondage and sadomasochism with his self as the lead actor, and she left him. Whoa. Yeah. That is something to happen upon. It sure is. You'd be like, um, that's like a hell of a day to come home from work early or something. Like, yeah. Leonard, what is happening here? And he's like, what's the problem? Everything's, this is normal, right? Yeah. This is fine. I thought everybody did S&M amateur porn in their free time with people that was not their wife. And your wife doesn't have any knowledge of it. Right. I mean, whatever people want to do, but like let someone know. She has every right to know that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's not okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just tell her. Like, she might have been cool with it. Maybe. It's this is what we tell our son all the time. You will get in less trouble if you tell the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, when you lie about it, you're going to compound your no days on the iPad or whatever it is. But like, just tell us the truth. Yeah, and Leonard Lake, I'm sure he got his iPad straight up taken away. Oh, I'm positive. She was like, go to your room. No iPad for three hours. (laughs) And no dessert for a week. Exactly. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. He spent the next eight years living in the commune with a brief stint in prison for car theft in there somewhere. In 1981, he married another woman, Clarilyn Cricket Balaz. She went by Cricket. Cricket. Oh, you like that? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I am, I'm, I hate it. I'm rickety crickety legs. Well, that's fine. Cricket is fine for him. Her cricket? Come on. I'm incensed. Okay. GCB, good Christian bitches. There was that woman cricket. Yeah, I didn't like her either. 
Oh. I like her as an actress, but I didn't like her character. Well, she was not very great. And she was a bitch. But the, the name. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. He had met her in 1977 while working at a Renaissance fair. But again, the marriage was short-lived. Lake's behavior was becoming more and more erratic. And he got her to star in some of his home movies, but that would turn out to be the boiling point for Belize. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like one thing to make like a movie for yourselves, I guess. It's another thing for it to be like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to sell this or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to, I'm going to release it. Yeah, that's not, to the world. that's not cool. Lake continued to decline mentally and became increasingly concerned and paranoid about the nuclear holocaust he was sure was coming. He began building a bunker of sorts, but once the owner of the property found out, he forced Lake to stop. After Lake's original landlord forced him to stop working on his bunker, he began renting a cabin from Belize. In his diary, Lake wrote about, quote-unquote, Operation Miranda in 1983 when he rebuilt the dungeon. Okay, so Miranda was the main character in the book called The Collector by John Fowles, and apparently Lake was obsessed and really connected with the story of a man locking up a woman. Is this what that movie is based on? Wasn't it called The Collector? That horror movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because he yes. has the butterflies everywhere in it, or like the pic- the pictures of the butterflies. He has all this like etymology stuff, like bugs and shit all over. But then he also has the people there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's because he, in the book, the guy is a butterfly collector, but then he collects his ultimate, what, what would you call it? A prize or something? I don't know. A woman named Miranda. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Gross. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. This dungeon would be his bunker for the nuclear holocaust, but it would also be a place to act out his nightmarish sexual fantasies because you're really going to want your holocaust fallout bunker to double if you really want to get your money's worth out of it. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it's just resourceful. (laughs) Yeah. This fucking guy. At some point, Lake invited his brother Donald and his friend Charles Gunner over to the cabin. It's not known if they went into the dungeon willingly or by force, but no matter how they went in, they didn't leave. Neither man has ever been seen again. Here's the thing. His brother? Yes, here's it. Leonard Lake, literally, okay, what is like the first rule of serial killers? Don't kill people you know, right? Don't kill people you're associated with. Leonard Lake didn't care about that. He killed everybody he knew. Every single person he ever knew, pretty much, he killed. And it's like, how is nobody putting together that like, hey, we used to come to like an annual barbecue at the lake home and like now there's only three of us left. <laughs> right. Like, We're all dropping like flies. What happened? Yeah, like he is so, it's not even like he, he would just kill people that like he saw at a, grocery store or something like you can make the connection that way he legitimately i mean this is brother like i don't know it's insane to me it is no it is leonard stole all their cash and gunner's id which he began using it's reported that in 1981 lake placed an ad in a war gamer or possibly a survivalist magazine most likely to find a new victim but instead he found charles ing Charles 
Chi Tat Ng was born on December 24th, 1960 in Hong Kong. Oh my gosh, he was born on Christmas Eve. That's horrible. Sloan said he turned out to be a really shitty Christmas gift, which I agree. Yeah, 100%. His father was a Chinese executive and they were a very well-off family. According to Ng, his father was abusive. Later, when Ng was on trial, his parents came to testify in his defense and his father admitted that he had been overly strict. Is he blaming himself for this? I don't know. There's so much, there's such a difference between being more strict than needed and being totally abusive, but I don't know. I don't know if we get into that. As a teen, Ng was described as a loner and got into trouble frequently. So frequently that he ended up getting expelled from numerous schools. When he was 15, he was arrested for shoplifting. His father decided that young Charles needed to go somewhere (laughs) away. So his dad sent him to a boarding school in Yorkshire, England at Bentham Grammar. Surprisingly, Ng continued to be a problem child, and after stealing from other students, he was quickly expelled and returned to Hong Kong. So not actually surprisingly, because he's kind of the worst. Yeah. In 1978, he moved to America on a student visa. He was enrolled at the Notre Dame College in California, but like his bro, Leonard Lake, he only lasted one semester. After leaving college, Ng was involved in a hit-and-run car accident and decided that in order to evade charges, he would just join the Marines. Great. You might be thinking, hey, don't you have to be a U.S. citizen to join the Marines? And you'd be right. But fortunately for Ng, this was the 70s and the paperwork was easier to fake. He used false documents and enlisted in the Marines in 1979. I did wonder about that. Like... He's just on a student visa. Yeah. All right, there you go. Interesting. But within a year, he got into trouble when he was stationed in Hawaii. Surprise, surprise. He stole automatic weapons, machine guns, revolvers, a night scope, grenade launchers, and other heavy weaponry from the armory at MCAS Kaneohe. (laughs) That's not where I thought it was going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I thought I could I think everyone could hear the confusion and like not knowing exactly where that was going in your voice I Kaneho hey. <laughs> I thought I had it earlier because I've like I've read a bunch on it anyway but like and no I didn't have it okay Kaneho hey. Bay in Oahu <laughs> That wasn't better, was it? <laughs> no, because he paused. Kaneohe in Oahu. It's like <laughs> her four tortilla. I don't know why tortilla Exactly. Yeah. Ng was arrested, and during the psychological evaluation, he told them things like he'd assassinated someone in California and that he laced the salt shakers in the mess hall with cyanide. No deaths were ever reported. I hope they threw all the salt away. Like, let's see what happens. I know. I don't know. Nobody died, so I guess it's fine. But still, like, who who, who claims to do that? That's very disturbing. Yeah. But he was afraid to face the court-martial that was coming, so he escaped and he went AWOL. He was listed as a deserter. He, like, literally escaped the, the prison there. That's kind of impressive. This guy, yeah. 
The beginning of Ng and Lake's friendship is a little fuzzy. Some sources say that Ng served his prison sentence before he met Lake, and others say he was on the lam when he met Lake. Both men have Murderpedia pages, but each page says something a little different. Ng says that he was convicted for the theft and sentenced to 14 years, but his sentence was commuted and he was released in 82, and then he met Lake in 83. Whereas Lake's page just says he met Ng in 82. The biography.com page on Ng says that he served three years in Leavenworth Prison for the theft, and upon his release, he moved in with Lake, but no mention of when and how they met. All things interesting says that Ng was dishonorably discharged in 84 and moved in with Lake. Military.wiki.org says that Lake placed an ad in a Wargamer magazine in 81, and that's how they met. And when Ng was dishonorably discharged from the Marines in 84, he invited Ng to move in with him. Then, the Big Book of Serial Killers says in Leonard Lake's section that in 82, Lake was arrested for firearms violation and let out on bail. But he absconded and moved to his ex-wife Belaz's ranch and met Ng that year. And in Ng's section, it says that he went AWOL and found his way back to California and moved in with Lake. There, the two men lived in a mobile home together until it was raided by federal authorities in 82 and both were arrested. Ng was sent back to military custody and worked out a plea deal to serve 18 months in military prison. Lake was let out on bail, but ran and drifted around using aliases until he met back up with Ng. Then, <laughs> uh-huh. then the documentary says that Ng was arrested by the Marines for the weapons he stole, but escaped from prison. A friend told him to go stay with Lake and his wife. He stayed there for six months, but at the same time, the ATF was building a case against Lake for possession of illegal firearms. In the spring of 81, both were arrested by the ATF. Lake ran and became a fugitive, and Ng was sent back to prison to complete his sentence. He was released in 84, came straight back to California, where he was picked up at the airport by Carolyn, Clarilyn Blas. So maybe what happened is they originally met in 81, maybe like through that magazine ad, they kept in touch. Then when Ng went AWOL, he called up Lake and stayed with him, but then their house was raided, he was sent back. It maybe a little bit of all of it happened. Just we don't know in what order. But the point is, Ng was dishonorably discharged from the Marines. And also, at some point, these two weirdos unfortunately met and moved into a cabin on Clarilyn Belaz's property where they would go on to do horrific things to people they knew. That's the point. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, it's always so crazy when, I don't know, I think they both would have done things whether or not they had met each other. You know, mm-hmm. but it was just like, like uh, the perfect storm for them to meet. Exactly. And then, yeah, yeah, it just sucks. Between 1983 and 1985, Lake and Ng used the bunker Lake had built to kidnap, rape, torture, and murder people. It's reported that they murdered between 12 and 25 people, but their exact body count is unknown. Police found the remains of 12 confirmed people on the property, including corpses and parts of people. But the 40-plus pounds of charred and crushed bones suggested that 12 was just a fraction of the real number of victims. Most of their victims were women who they kidnapped in preparation for the nuclear holocaust because they would need to repopulate the earth. How would one repopulate the earth if they kill everyone? Yeah, because it doesn't... Yeah. 
You have to keep somebody alive for that to happen. Lake had the fantasy of locking women up as sex slaves that he would use when he wanted and then put them away when he was done. However, it wasn't just women that they kidnapped. They would keep men and women in their center block bunker that had a two-way mirror installed and only measured 6.5 by 3.5 feet with only a bucket and toilet paper. Yuck. Lake and Ing would also kidnap families, such as their neighbor, Lonnie Bond, his girlfriend, Brenda O'Connor, and their toddler son, Lonnie Jr. He was only 18 months old. (sighs) No. It's horrific. They also kidnapped Harvey and Deborah Dubbs and their toddler son, Sean. The plan was to kill the men and children first almost immediately and save the women as their sex slaves for a while. What the fuck is wrong with these people? I have no idea. I am upset. Yeah. Women who were kidnapped were repeatedly held down and raped by the men. They tortured them physically, psychologically, and emotionally and would videotape it. This very much reminds me of the toy box killer. Yes, I was going to say. Once Lake and Ing were tired of the women, they would kill them. Lake and Ing killed co-workers of Ing's as well as friends and family members who would come over. They also sought out people under the guise of needing help or buying something using the newspaper want ads so that they would have to come to their cabin or the people would let them in their house. In 1983, when Lake's brother Donald disappeared, their mother reported him missing after he didn't return from a visit with Lake. However, she said the world would be better without Don. So she wasn't really all that concerned. <laughs> I don't know anything His about mother? Don. Yeah, but between Don and Leonard, it honestly sounds like the world is better off without Leonard. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I haven't seen anything so far that says Don was a serial murderer and rapist. 1983 was also when Charles Gunner disappeared and then Lake adopted his identity frequently using his ID and his name. July 25th, 1984, the Dubs family disappeared. 30-year-old Harvey, 33-year-old Deborah, and 16-month-old Sean Dubs had become victims of these psychos. They had been reported missing and the police clearly saw in their apartment there had been signs of a struggle and that the family had left unwillingly. Deborah's medication that she had to take daily was left in the house, and they had their cats locked in the house, too. In fact, the video equipment that was found in the dungeon was linked to Harvey. Harvey was a professional wedding photographer and had placed an ad in the paper to rent out his video equipment. And guess who answered that ad? Which is, like, terrifying. Also in July of 84, Donald Guletti was a fairly popular DJ in San Francisco when he reportedly answered an ad in a probably sketchy adult magazine. The ad offered oral sex from an Asian male. He was later found shot three times in his home, and his roommate was later able to identify Charles Ng as the man who answered the ad. In October of 84, a man named Randy Jacobson, 34, had gone to Lakes to sell him his van. Jacobson's girlfriend said that she had previously been propositioned by Lake and he offered to pay her to come take care of his marijuana farm, but she turned him down for both. Good for her. Uh, yeah. I mean, she couldn't have known what was going to happen, but still. Yeah, what was the other... He had a marijuana farm? That's what I'm saying. I don't know that... I don't even think that that was true. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. November of 1984, 39-year-old Paul Costner never showed up for a date with his girlfriend, who told police that Paul was last seen giving a test drive to a man matching Lake's description in a Honda Prelude Costner had been trying to sell in the paper. This makes you, like, never want to sell anything again. Mm-mm. I mean— It's like Craigslist killer. Yeah. And, like, you know, you always know—I mean, ever since I started buying and selling stuff on Craigslist and then, you know, on Facebook, it's always, like— This could be a dangerous situation, but ugh, this this brings it home, doesn't it? Yes. In April of 1985, Ing's friend from federal prison, 22-year-old Michael Carroll, and his girlfriend, 18-year-old Kathleen Allen, disappeared. Kathleen worked at a grocery store, and the last time she was there, a coworker overheard a phone conversation that she got from Michael. Michael, who went by Mike, had called her and told her that he was in Lake Tahoe and he'd been shot. He told her that he was sending a friend to pick her up and that friend was going to bring her to where Mike was. So she talked to her supervisor and said, hey, I need to take a few days off. My boyfriend's been, I, don't, I think she told him he'd been shot. And she's like, I'm going to go help him or whatever. Her boss is like, okay, that's mm-hmm. cool. So... A guy comes to pick her up in a brown Honda. The supervisor described him as a man in his 40s, bald but with dark hair and a beard. Neither Kathleen or Mike were ever seen again. Her manager said he later got a typed letter dated May the 6th, that was three weeks after she left, saying that she got another job and she wouldn't be coming back. Kathleen was seen on their videotapes and Mike's ID was one of the ones later found on the property. On the video, Kathleen was handcuffed and sitting in a chair, and she was told that if she didn't do just what the men wanted, they would take her to the bedroom and tie her to the bed. Then they said they would rape her, take her out back, put a bullet in her head, and bury her next to Mike. I cannot imagine the fear. The, I was going to say the fear. I know. It is, it's, this is so disturbing. It's not even funny. I can, yeah, it's horrific. Then in, I think I've said the word horrific 97 times. Like, I can't. There's no other word. My brain can't even handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Then in May of 85, 27-year-old Lonnie Bond, his girlfriend Brenda O'Connor, and their 18-month-old son Lonnie Bond Jr. disappeared. They were the closest neighbors to Lake and Ing, but Brenda said she had seen Lake, who called himself Gunner, burying a body in the woods, so she rightly didn't trust him. But instead of calling the police or anything like that, Lonnie had his friend, 26-year-old Scott Stapley, who was apparently the founder of the San Diego chapter of the Guardian Angels, which is like a neighborhood watch kind of thing. 
He came to stay with them as an added layer of protection. Why not call the police? I just don't understand. If you see somebody burying a body Mm -hmm. that does not appear to be like a dog or something, you call the police. Yeah. There's no reason. No. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm not saying Scott wasn't like tough or anything, but we already found his ID, so it didn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, yeah, call the police. So sad. On the videotapes, Brenda is tied to a chair, begging for all of their lives. But Ying untied her and forced her to strip naked. Then he shackled her with leg irons and both Lake and Ying sexually abused her. So horrible. I cannot even imagine. After searching the car, the police go to visit Lake's mother. At the house, they also find Clara Lynn Belize, Lake's ex-wife, and the lady whose names was on the electric bill in Paul Cosner's car. When I first, like, read that there there was an electric bill addressed to a Clara Lynn Belize, I was like, she's a victim. Like, I just assumed she was no longer living. But... Yeah, same. She was there at Leonard, Lake's mom's house. When they asked her about the electric bill, she explained that the address on the bill was a cabin her family owned. The police wanted to obviously search that cabin. But Clara Lynn said that she was like really super busy that day. So they just have to go up the next day. She's no time for that today. And the police were like, okay, so we will meet you there in the morning. But under no circumstances, do you hear me? Do you go to that cabin tonight? She's like, no problem. Definitely not going to go tonight. As I said, I'm super duper busy. I do not have the time for that. So they obviously did not trust her. And they called the county's police station and asked them to send someone to guard the property until the morning. They were able to send two officers, but they were really short staffed. They only had like I don't know how many officers for the whole entire county, and it was a big county. They just didn't need a lot of officers. So they couldn't be there for the full 24 hours. So they would literally just like go check on it. They would go up to where like the property was gated and it was locked up, and they would go check to make sure that it was still like locked and gated. And then they'd drive away and then they'd drive back. So they would just do kind of like drive bys of it. Not exactly the same. Not exactly the same. And they were like, this is what we can give you. And the police and the other town were like, okay, that sounds good. Whatever, whatever you can do. So Belaz and Lake's mother met the officers the next morning at the Wilseyville post office and admitted that they did actually go to the cabin the night before, but that's only because Leonard is notoriously untidy. And so they just wanted to like make sure the place was clean because, you know, they're going to be having company. They didn't want to embarrass themselves or make the officers uncomfortable. So they just cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah. Because you don't want to get into a situation, especially with the police, where you're like, look, I'm sorry, this place is such a mess. Like, don't mind the mess. Yeah, don't mind the mess. Obviously, nobody in evil genius minded a mess. No. But I guess that's one way to hope that people don't find evidence is like, hoarders, bitch. Find it now. (laughs) I'm just seriously still so shocked when we talk about cases where people are like, "Um, okay, police, I know you asked me to do this, but I'm actually not going to be able to do that right now. Like if it was me and a police officer was like, we need you to go do this. Like I'm canceling everything that I have for today. This is serious. I'm not going to take this life. Yeah, exactly. And she's just like, "Um, no. Yeah. I mean, I guess like totally within your rights, you can say no. I mean, if, 
If we were giving advice in this situation, I think we would say get a lawyer. Yes. But in this situation, it's like, ugh. Yeah, but in stuff like this, you're like, I hope you don't ever think about getting a lawyer. Like, ugh, because they're just— yeah. We know too much. Yeah, all of them are just shit people. So they finally get onto the property and the police notice a cinder block bunker and they're like, "Um, excuse me, what is in that building over there? And she's like, "Mm, yeah, don't worry about that. Um, I don't have a key to the bunker anyway and I really don't think it's a good idea for you to search it. So let's just forget you ever saw that and let's like move on. Okay. And they're like, well, I mean... This right now we're giving we're doing a search based on her consent. So they wanted to they really wanted to get inside the house and they didn't want to make her uncomfortable or make her clam up and be like, "Okay, you need to leave." So they were like, "We were just going to wait on the bunker thing because we knew we'd have to get a warrant for that and we just wanted to at least get into that house initially." So they kind of let that lie. While looking through the cabin, the detectives noticed that the bed had holes drilled in the headboard and footboard as if it was built specifically to tie someone to the bed. That could be like a kinky sex thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I'm not here to judge, you know, like smoke them if you got them. You know what I mean? Like do, do what you want to do. Consenting adults, Consenting like with consenting adults. adults. Yeah, that's, therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Detectives continued looking around when somebody noticed video equipment. Coincidentally, this was the same equipment that was missing from the Dubs house. Now they have the car of Paul Cosner, the ID of Robin Scott Stapley, and now the video equipment from the Dubs house, all people who have disappeared in the last year or so. Belaz started to get fidgety and she decided it was time for the police to leave. She's like, you've been here long enough. You need to get out of here. Like this, this should be enough for you, whatever. So now they've got to get a warrant. Um, But before they left the property, they secured it this time. They made sure that absolutely nobody was going to get back in there. They didn't want anybody to be tampering with anything. And at this point, they've got plenty of probable cause. And so they ended up getting a warrant that same day. And this time they have the warrant for the entire property, everything on it. They can search the bunker. They can search anything they want. When they got back to the cabin, they were able to pick the lock and get into the quote unquote fallout shelter. But they were not ready for what they found. And we're going to find out what they found in the next episode. Oh my God. I hate a cliffhanger. I know. But it's it's such a big case. But you like have to break it into two parts. Because we're already at, yeah, we're already at like almost 50 minutes. So if you are like me and you hate a cliffhanger, go on over to the Patreon and you'll get the second episode right now. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Oh my God. You totally could. I know. Yeah. I know. You can wait a week again. Do whatever you want to do. No big deal. It'll still right. it'll be We're there. not here to tell you what to do. We never will. Yeah, but also just um, to let you know the episodes on the Patreon are ad-free as well. That's a bonus. There are, there are reasons there are, to there join. There are reasons, yeah. So if you want part two immediately, check out the Patreon. If not, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. All right, we've got some shout-outs here, some brand-new patrons. Hey, we love you guys. Thank you to Jamila C., Kayla M., Bailey J., Katrina T., Penelope M., Jenny R., 
Samantha B, Emmy, Sarah W, Ramey, Taylor W, Emma M, Heather, Annie S, Kambina, Kayla W, Gracie M, Jessica E, Haley C, Jamie K, Norma G, Jordan A, Kimberly, Summer K, Kathleen W, Allison M, Fran A, Adrienne, Lena R, Nicole W, Abby H, Jenna Renee B. Thank you. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.